You are listening to the American Truth Project podcast. Okay, it's great to be with you. It took a little while to get here, but I'm thrilled to be with you in Studio City. I've got about eight topics to cover, and I cut out some things just for time purposes, but I promise all of you ladies and gentlemen, I will stay as long as you want me to for Q&A, so if you want to talk about stuff I cut out or I didn't bring with me, I'm happy to do that. So here's what we're going to cover today. I'm going to talk about the race for the White House, since that's pretty much what everybody thinks about 24-7. I'm going to give you my analysis on why I think Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders are so similar. I'm going to talk to you about the 9-11 report, which should be in the news a lot more than it is. I'm going to tell you about some recent interviews I had with the commander of the Israeli Air Force and Congressman Duncan Hunter uh, two weeks ago up here in Los Angeles. I'm going to teach you about Hillary's email situation, and when I get done, you're going to be an expert. I'm going to talk about Iran and the nuclear deal. Um, I was just asked to mention something about David Horowitz, who I know came to speak to you uh, some time ago, and I had him on the show last night, and then I'm going to tell you about, if you, if you want to help, I'll tell you how you can help, okay? So let's start with the race for the White House. Um, two weeks ago, I was in Frank Luntz's home here in Beverly Hills, and I had an exclusive sit-down with him for about an hour, and we edited it up down to about 20 minutes. It was a fascinating discussion about how people decide who they're going to vote for and what goes into their thought process with America's premier pollster. Um, most of what he told me ended up being wrong. <laughs> It's not his fault. I'm going to tell you why he's wrong. Um, at the time we were talking about, this was several weeks ago, the controversy about what was going to happen in Cleveland on July 18th uh, when the Republicans gather for the convention. He didn't believe Trump could make it all the way to 1,237 delegates. He thought it would be close, but he didn't think he could make it. Most people agreed at that time. Obviously, Kasich had no chance. And at that time, Cruz had just been mathematically eliminated, meaning if he had won every single delegate, he still wouldn't have made it. So the question was, what was going to happen at a contested convention? For the GOP, it would have been a disaster. And let me tell you why. You should know this, just for the future. Pledged delegate means that a candidate has come through a primary somewhere and has won enough votes to get a certain amount of delegates attached to his name. What most people don't realize is that pledge is either for one, two, or three ballots. Meaning, if one candidate doesn't win on the first ballot, a very significant portion of those delegates get cut loose and they're free agents. They could vote for anybody or nobody. Okay, then the second, and it depends on state law. Each state is different. Florida has a commitment for, for three ballots. And so what we discussed in this interview is the fact that if Trump didn't make it on the first ballot, he would not have been the nominee. Because there were so many delegates that had been recruited by the Cruz campaign to switch after they were released, there was confirmation of at least 150 delegates that would have left Trump on the second ballot and over 250 on the third ballot. It would have dropped him down somewhere around the high 900s, and as a result, he never would have gotten the nomination. On the other hand, the number of delegates that were pledged to Cruz that would then cross over wouldn't have been enough to get him over about 850. 
And that's where all that turmoil came from about a third or a fourth or a fifth name. Thank God we don't have to go through that because it would have been disastrous for the party, in my opinion. We would have had something where maybe on the 18th ballot, the people are going, oh, my God, I'll vote for anybody at this point. And in conventions, if you look at American history, that has happened before where it goes on for days and nobody gets to a majority plus one. And so at that point, it could literally be anybody. And I think, even though I talked to him about it personally and he said no, I think that was Mitt Romney's thought. That he would be the white knight to gallop in on day two. And I don't think he can win nationally. I happen to like him a lot personally and I know him very well, but I don't think he can win. Or it could have been somebody similar. I mean, there was actually talk of Newt Gingrich and there was talk of Paul Ryan and, and other people that I don't think are viable winning candidates. So now he's the presumptive nominee. What does that mean? He's not the nominee till he's elected at the convention. He's presumed to be elected at this point. Short of an illness or some other catastrophe, he will be the nominee. There's no question about it. And after July 18th, we will call him the nominee. Okay? So here's what I want to talk about first. In a little education. How did he do it? How did he pull it off? How did he break every single rule in politics? And yet, and you all know what I'm talking about, right? You'd have to be dead not to know all the things he's done wrong. And yet, he's the nominee. So first, let's talk about how he got there in the last several weeks. He won five primaries several weeks ago. The week before that, he crushed it in New York. And then the, 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 the line was drawn, the firewall was set at Indiana. And Cruz said, we'll spend whatever it takes. We will win Indiana or we lose. And right before the primary, John Kasich and Ted Cruz made this bizarre deal, which I don't ever remember this happening in history, where Kasich said, okay, you take Indiana, I'll go out to Wyoming, and I'll tell my people to vote for you, and then you tell your people to vote for me in another state. Deal? And they go, deal. And by the time Cruz had landed, I'm sorry, by the time Kasich had landed out west, he'd already said, but if you guys want to vote for me in Indiana, it's okay. So by the end of the day, the deal had fallen apart. Literally. The polls said it was a toss-up. Do you remember? And Trump destroyed both of them in Indiana. He beat both of them put together in Indiana, and it wasn't supposed to happen. Keep that in mind as we go forward in this discussion, okay? So, what did he do to win? This is a lot of controversy, and there's going to be all kinds of books written about it, whether he wins or loses in November. He broke every single rule that every expert told him on how to win in a campaign. Anybody disagree with that? <laughs> there were 17 candidates. 16 of them were professional politicians, with the exception of Carly Fiorina, and he destroyed every one of them. I'm sorry, you're right, and Ben Carson, who, by the way, I had lunch with. He's a really nice guy and should never run for political office. <laughs> So look at the money trail first. Jeb Bush spent $59 million and was gone six months ago. 
Marco Rubio spent 111 million and was gone months ago. Cruz spent 112 million and bailed out a week ago. Trump spent almost nothing and was on the news every single day. On almost every news show, every single day. Nobody has yet calculated the value of the free media he engendered. It's never been done. He became the news. And I don't just mean on Fox, CNN, constantly. And the three major networks, the broadcast networks, all the time. Sometimes making fun of him, sometimes being complimentary, other times just reporting. And MSNBC threw darts at him every single day. <laughs> but he was on the news every single day. He was actually, at one point, they did calculations, was on the news more than every other candidate put together. And they were spending tens of millions and he was spending nothing. Unbelievable. So, number one, he spent no money. Number two, this is amazing, he hired no pollsters. Now let me tell you why that's important. What do personal pollsters do in campaigns? They tell you what to say. Whoever said that, you're 100% right. They tell you what to say. They give you talking points. Should we test this? Should we test this? Are you okay with this? Are you okay with this? And then they go out to the voters and say, which one resonates? If you were to vote, which do you like the sound of? If you were to vote on women's issues, which, and, and then it comes back. The king of this was Obama. They tested every single slogan. Millions and millions was spent on polling. You know how Trump said he decides what to say? It's with his gut. And sometimes he asks Melania. That's it. He's got an inner clock that knows what to say most of the time, at least on issues. Number three, he's 100% off the cuff. You see what's going on in his brain within a millimeter of it being here, it's out here, tenth of a second later, and there's no filter. So most of his speeches are rambling, literally, um, stream of consciousness discussions. Having said that, he says some things that people don't admit they wish they could say. I'll give you one example. Do you remember when, I think it was Chicago, and, and a guy was screaming at him, and it was being dragged out by security, and Trump said, I'd like to punch that guy in the face. Yeah. It is the most politically incorrect thing you can say. And I got news for you, 30 million Americans go, yeah, me too. Right? So, foreign policy, domestic policy, he's made no addresses until a few weeks ago. He's now made two. The speech he made to AIPAC was brilliant. I know the guy that wrote it. And Trump approved it. Don't kid yourself. Speechwriters get a certain amount of credit. It's the candidate that stands up and said, these are my thoughts. He delivered it appropriately as a statesman. And then his foreign policy speech was written by my very good friend, who I had on the show on Friday. And as he put it, Mr. Trump approved every line of it. I thought it was a spectacular analysis of ISIS and how the Trump administration would build a policy of coalition building and army building that we would lead, we the United States, to destroy ISIS. Not contain them, not have a five-year plan, kill every one of them until it's over. Yeah.
Next thing. How many times has he said the F word, the S word, or similar? There's never been a candidate that hasn't done this and go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he doesn't even back up. He just keeps going. <laughs> By the way, I'm sure you've all said it, and I'm sure your husbands or wives or family members have said it, but nobody's done this in public on an unapologetic basis. When I get done, I'm going to tell you why all this is important. I'm just sort of listing this stuff. He's been name-calling like a maniac yes. to the point of, oh my gosh, Marco Rubio, little Marco, look at the size of his hands. I mean, have you ever imagined that there would be a discussion about sexual parts as part of a campaign? And he hasn't apologized for it? And lying Ted, and now criminal Hillary? Sorry, I've heard, I've heard two. And he's got one now for Bernie. I heard it on the radio um, coming up today. Uh, I can't remember. It was like Crazy Bernie or something like that. Um, here's an interesting thing. This has never happened since the creation of the Super PAC. He refused to take any PAC money. Not a penny. My personal opinion is that the Supreme Court decision that allowed super PACs to be created and have so much influence on American politics are a tragic error. Because special interests have an unlimited ability to raise money and use that money to influence policy. So your voter rights and your influence is abrogated by people that can write $50 million checks. I think the backlash will change that law in the not too distant future, at least that's my hope. He didn't take any of that money. He's going to have to take some big money going forward. The prediction now is the campaign for President of the United States post-convention will cost $1 billion per candidate. And the only way they can raise that much money is from special interests. The interesting thing, which I'll talk about later, is Trump is the one that's unbuyable because he's richer than the people giving him the money. <laughs> Seriously, there, that's an advantage. So he's been, I called him this going back six months ago, he's an equal opportunity insulter, Mexicans and women and Muslims, and everybody said you can't do it, but he's done it and it's resonated, with the exception of women because his numbers on with women are just horrible. Um, right now. I've never seen a political candidate brag about himself. I, I built a successful company, the most successful company. I'm the best negotiator. No one will negotiate better deals than me. I'm the smartest guy that's ever run for president. On and on and on he goes. Right? You don't do that. He doesn't stop doing it. And he's never really acted presidential. We've all talked about it. Is he going to start acting more presidential? Is he going to be like a president? Here's the interesting thing from inside the campaign. I'll tell you because I talked to them. Half the staff says, you know, you've got to have the demeanor of a president and you've got to address people like you're the president. You've got to start acting the role before you take the role. And you know what his pushback is? What got me here is being Donald Trump. And that's a brand. 
loud, in your face, stream of consciousness. I say the things you're thinking, but I'm the only one that has the chutzpah to say it. And so I don't know which side's going to win. Having said that, he wasn't supposed to be able to talk like this. We'll see if it changes. Okay, one last thing. What's going to happen after the convention within the Republican Party? Um, I think the Cruz people will vote for Trump. We talked about this at the table. Here's why. The alternative is catastrophic. Yeah. It truly is catastrophic. Daryl Issa, who's a congressman from San Diego, who's a great guy and he's a great patriot, said on, the, on Fox this morning, he was asked why he's so enthusiastic about Trump and he gave some qualities about Trump and then he said, we all have to unite against Trump because the alternative is that bad. It's that bad. And he gave the example in the past of certain Republicans that betrayed their um, promises like George H.W. Bush. Remember, read my lips, no new taxes, right? And, and the Republicans united against him because the alternative was worse, right? This is going to be that in November. Now, let's talk about something I, I find interesting as a political scientist, which are the similarities between Trump and Sanders. Hear me out. Um, they're both tremendous outsiders. Bernie Sanders, don't forget, is not a Democrat. He's a communist. He can't call himself a communist. He calls himself a socialist. He votes with the Democratic caucus. He's not a Democrat. He's so far to the left of the Democratic Party, and he's pulling the Democratic Party left because he still wins primaries. He won West Virginia last night, and Hillary was supposed to win it. There's so many people in this country that are entitled to stuff, and they have no concept of where stuff comes from, as if, as if the federal government is a money-stuff-generating machine in perpetuity. They don't understand taxes. They don't understand debt. They don't understand deficits. They just want free things. Remember the Obama phone uh, in the last election? This is that times a thousand. There are some estimates that if Bernie Sanders' plans went through, it'd be a $19 trillion increase in the debt. The, the United States of America would collapse as a viable financial institution. So how are they similar? They're both bringing people in that haven't been part of this process before, that are angry, that feel disenfranchised, that feel nobody listens, that feel that it doesn't matter if it's Republicans or Democrats in the House, the Senate, or the White House, everything seems to stay the same, which, by the way, is true. It's true. All the things that the Republican-controlled House and Senate were going to happen, for the most part, didn't. The Iran nuclear deal is a deal where every single member of the GOP was against it. And, it's, and it went through. Because they allowed it to go through administratively instead of declaring it a treaty which they should have. So that's an example of people going, hey, I, I don't understand this, but I hate everybody. And along comes Donald Trump and says, I'm different. I'm from outside. Those guys suck. And I'm never going to listen to them. And Bernie Sanders is saying the same thing. He's tremendously unliked in the Senate because he's not part of the Senate, so to speak. So they're both outsiders. They're bringing people in that have never voted before. And here's what's curious, and here's my prediction. 
Sanders will not win the Democratic nomination. There's not a chance in hell because of superdelegates. He'll never, ever, 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 ever win. Where do his people go? There's a certain percentage that will stay home. There's a certain percentage that go, well, Hillary's closest. And there's a certain percentage of going, I'm not voting for someone who's been inside politics for 45 years. I like this Trump guy, even though I disagree with most of what he says, because he's going to change stuff. There are polls that say 20% or so of the current Sanders supporters will cross. Not one Trump supporter would ever vote for Bernie, but the other way will happen. And if, if the campaign is smart, they will court that. Okay. That's enough on politics, although I'll add one more thing. Um, disregard every poll you've heard about who's going to win, and I'll tell you why. There's so much bad stuff on Hillary that has yet to come out. Trump is going to beat her like a drum in every speech. On Benghazi. On campaign contributions on the Clinton Foundation, and, and, and what's really going to bring her down is the email, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So before we get to the email, let me tell you about the 9-11 report and why you're going to hear more about this, I hope. Obviously, 9-11 happened a long time ago. The report that was done at that time, when it was released, had 28 pages redacted that were never released to the general public that, that say who did it and who financed it. And the Senate never let it out. So here we are, 17 years later, and Senator Phil Graham is pushing for it to be released. And from people that have seen it, and I've talked to two that have seen it, Saudi Arabia has their fingerprints all over 9-11. There's rumors in the Senate about sanctions against Saudi Arabia and Obama has promised to, ve to veto anything that comes out. And, and this is going to surprise you. I agree with him. And here's why. Saudi Arabia is the major stance against ISIS in the Middle East. For what they did on 9-11, at some point, they deserve to be punished. But right now, we need all the help we can get on ISIS. But watch. When it comes, you're going to be shocked. And America is going to go, wow. I kind of thought they were, but they are the ones. And that's where all the money came from, and that's where the hijackers came from, and that's where the training came from, and so on. Okay? You'll see. Okay, real quickly, um, I had Brigadier General um, Rosen with me uh, uh, about a month ago up here in Beverly Hills at, at uh, Frank Luntz's house. And what he told me that is germane is that uh, Israel's training for a war right now. And I had... Um, Tom Trento on the show last night, who just came back from Israel, he led a, um, a mission of, of Christian Zionists to Israel, and they had briefings from the Air Force and the IDF, and Israel sincerely believes that Iran is going to turn loose Hezbollah on Israel in the north, and Israel's getting ready for it. They have thousands and thousands and thousands of missiles, long and short range, that can reach three quarters of the country, and there's no question that, sadly, we gave them the money to finance this. It's part of the $150 billion. 
What he did mention to me that I thought was interesting is the same thing that Duncan Hunter said when I interviewed him, which is, and Duncan Hunter just came back, the amount of extraordinary military cooperation going on between Israel and the United States, not because of the President of the United States, in spite of the President of the United States. In Israel, there's never been a more sad sense of lack of support from the United States since the early days of Nixon. Netanyahu was so badly insulted by Obama pulling out all of his key players when his address to Congress was given, which was a brilliant speech. And in the last two times he went to the White House with an appointment, he was kept waiting between two and three hours on a chair outside the Oval Office. That has never happened to a head of state. It's pathetic. And where does this come from? There's a very strong pro-Iranian bias within the White House. The chief advisor to the president was born and comes from Iran, Valerie Jarrett. Secretary of State Kerry, his daughter, is married into an Iranian family. And for those of you, and I don't have time to get into this, but I had dinner with a very prominent Democrat who's been a friend of mine for, since he was on city council in San Diego, so 20 years. And I asked him, when you meet with Kerry, what's the impression you get why he pushed this Iran nuclear deal so much? And he said, it's obvious and we've talked about it. John Kerry is running for the Nobel Peace Prize. And that's where his motivation comes from. That's his legacy. And that's the legacy Obama wants, that he made peace without war. Okay, let's talk about something really exciting, which is Hillary's email. When I get done with you, you're, you're never going to believe the news again, because I'm going to give you the law, and then you can call BS on every time you hear something on a major network, or the next time Hillary Clinton says, yes, there were many, many, many emails on my private server, but none were classified at that time. You know why it's BS? Because that's not what the law says. Listen to me. The law says, and I've had it read to me by a very high-ranking admiral who served on the fair board with me for the governor, uh, for a number of years who signed the same document. When everybody goes through state, it's the same as the top players in the military, Air Force, Navy, Marines, Army. Everybody signs a non-disclosure agreement and gets briefed on secrecy law. They get a briefing. They go to a class that teaches them the following. You are never to have classified information on an unsecured server or in your possession in an insecure place, ever. The definition of classified is, was at the time, should have been at the time, was classified later because of its content. Did you hear what I said? It doesn't matter if it's blank with, with no classification when they teach you what should be classified because you have that important role, you are supposed to classify it. Okay? So when she went through State Department training, they said, here's our server, here's our Blackberry, here's how it works, here's the encrypted phones, right? And here's where your email goes. And she bypassed it. And she hired State Department people to create her own 
server database and they hired an outside guy who put the server in a closet in an apartment in Colorado in the apartment in which he lived before she gave up those emails when the house figured out what was going on they kept the server for weeks and they wiped a hundred thousand emails off of it and then they turned over the server and the special investigations unit found 2200 emails that had a classification on them each one is a felony and of those 2200 there are 22 special access protocol special access program sorry which is above top secret they're so secret that the investigator general was not allowed to read them because his clearance wasn't high enough they were on her server those are felonies every single one of them now what's interesting is that the first person congress went after to question was a guy and i want you to remember this name tom magliano he came before Congress last year and he took the Fifth Amendment. He refused to testify. It's his right. That's part of our Constitution. But what he's really saying is, yeah, I can't talk about it because I don't want to go to jail. So they just, well, a few weeks ago, offered him immunity. And he's been talking to the FBI daily. And now they're bringing in more staff and more staff and more staff. They've got in jail a hacker from Europe who says he got into that server over a dozen times. There's a rumor out of Russia that they have several thousand of her emails from hacking into that server, and they may or may not release them. The rumor is North, Car North Carolina, North Korea, and the Chinese have been in that server. It was an unprotected private server like you would buy at Best Buy in a closet. <laughs> According to leaks coming out of the FBI, there's, a, there's over 100 agents working on this case, by the way. It's a big, big deal. They are absolutely pushing for an indictment. Here's where it gets sticky. On a federal level, who indicts? The Department of Justice. Who's in charge of the Department of Justice? Loretta Lynch. A very liberal, progressive, Democrat, very longtime friend of the President of the United States who she works for. Technically, she works for the American people, but he could, he could remove her at any time. So the question is, what is Loretta Lynch going to do with a trainload of information? The reason why the FBI is holding this up and hasn't asked for the indictments is they want it airtight. And there are people within the FBI that say, if the Department of Justice doesn't indict her, we will leak the information of the American people. My prediction is, if it happens before Pennsylvania, when they meet in Philadelphia, her campaign is over, and the Democrats will go to Joe Biden. Because they can't allow Bernie to run, because he will get crushed. And that's why Joe Biden is, you know, sort of Mr. Clean and 
is going on trips around the world and he's representing the United States in Europe and he went to the UN and blah 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 they're trying to raise his profile just in case if it happens after the convention it's over Daffy Duck could beat her because the Democrats that will vote for any Democrat will always vote for her but the vast middle that decides every presidential election in the United States will run away because this is felony after felony after felony. Look, General Petraeus screwed up. He was an American war hero. He gave a bunch of classified stuff to his girlfriend, his mistress, who was writing a book. I think there were seven. And he was disgraced and thrown out of the army and humiliated over a half a dozen. We're talking thousands. This is the biggest breach, they say, of all time for someone that hasn't yet been indicted. That's how big it is. So the next time you hear her say, yeah, I had stuff, none of them had a classification on it at the time. You know that's wrong. You know that's not the law, and you know she knows better because she took the same class everybody else took and had to sign that they understood the rules. We all clear on that? Okay. Iran nuclear deal. I write about this all the time. It's the biggest betrayal of American foreign policy, maybe ever. There's some stuff you probably don't know. Iran hacked into a dam in 2013 that if they had completed their plan, they would have shut down the water supply to a great portion of New York. The Wall Street Journal broke the story about three months ago. It was never front page news. It was covered up. By the way, just as an aside, anybody know who signed the Iran nuclear deal? For, for our side? Yeah, it was signed in the White House in a, in a ceremony. Do you know who signed it in Iran for their side? Anybody? Come on. It's never been signed. It's never been signed. It was rejected by the parliament and it was rejected by the Grand Ayatollah, the Supreme Leader. It was rejected with 10 amendments that they would have put on, and if those 10 amendments were accepted, they would have signed it. But there were no changes, and so the agreement, which started as a treaty and became a contract and became an agreement, is now called an understanding. And the reason they keep changing the name is, as it starts to leak out that it's never been signed, it's an embarrassment for the White House. It's never been signed. They didn't meet the protocols. I had the CIA director on the show with me last night, James Woolsey, who was CIA director under Bill Clinton. He's a Democrat, and he's a phenomenal patriot. And he was a tremendous director of the CIA, saying they breached almost all of the protocols, and we gave them $150 billion anyway. And in his opinion, it was done because as a legacy builder for the President of the United States, he can say, I made peace with the enemy of the United States and not a shot was fired. And according to Woolsey, it was complete capitulation from the time the negotiation started. And the controversy we discussed last night, anybody know about Ben Rhodes? Why that's important? Ben Rhodes is the President's spokesman on foreign policy. And in a very lengthy 
interview with the New York Times the other day, the New York Times published this really long article where Ben Rhodes said it was his job to mislead the press and the American public on the Iran nuclear deal so they wouldn't oppose it. And he puked out this stuff in print. And I, I asked Woolsey yesterday, we didn't get to it on the air because we ran out of time. I asked him, I said, Jim, not that. Who authorized it? That's really important because he's a nobody. I said, who authorized this plan? He goes, it's simple. And I said, what's simple? He goes, Barry, he still has his job. What does that tell you? And I said, well, his boss is Barack Obama. And I would think if he screwed up, he would have been fired in about 15 seconds. And he said, exactly. He still has his job. He has not been corrected by the president. That means it was authorized by the president of the United States. This is policy coming from the Oval Office. And I said, but telling it in public? And he said, I think there's that much arrogance in the White House that they think they can do anything. And, and I think they can do anything because we, the people, don't do anything and the Congress doesn't do anything. There ought to be a special investigation on this tomorrow in Congress. You have the representative, representative of the United States lying about the most major treaty call it what you want, that's been enacted by this country in 50 years, admitting that he lied to the public and he lied to the press in press conference after press conference after press conference. Don't you think we should investigate that? I do. Since the deal has been signed, what's happened? Well, they've been uh, testing ballistic missiles that are in violation of the deal. Ballistic missiles anti-ballistic missiles and ballistic missiles that are intercontinental mean they can travel between continents. They already have shorter range missiles that can destroy Israel. Intercontinental ballistic missiles are designed for one reason and one reason only. Europe and North America. And what have we done? Nothing. This happened before we gave them the money. Since we have given them the money, every protocol that they could have, they've broken. They've been spending the money on the biggest weapons buying spree since World War II. They have now ordered all the modern fighter jets from China to build a brand new Air Force and they're paying cash. And this is the technology that was probably stolen from General Dynamics and General Atomic and everybody else that builds our jets. They've been ordering missile systems from North Korea and Russia. They've been ordering nuclear power plants from Russia. Supposedly they're talking to Pakistan about getting fuel. As Jim said yesterday, the biggest problem he has with the Iran nuclear deal, besides giving them the money when they were in breach of every part of the agreement, is they got in an exclusion that Kerry agreed to that military bases will never be inspected. Yeah. Now, when you think of a military base, it's kind of where the jets are and the soldiers are and the tanks are, right? You know who decides the definition of a military base? The, the Iran Revolutionary Guard. They can declare anything a military base. Anything. 
So if the inspectors are coming in, and by the way, no American inspectors are allowed in Iran. Did you know that? They have to be from other countries. Even though we funded all of this. We, United States. They can say, oh, that's a military base, you can't check. Oh, that's a military installation, you can't check. And there could be dozens and dozens. They could hide enough fuel for hundreds of nuclear weapons. And here's another killer that we talked about on the air last night. If you remember, there was all this discussion about soil samples and so on. If the inspectors from the IAEA, which is run by the UN, say, we want to check soil here and here, do you know who goes and gets that soil? The Iranians. The Iranians do. They can dig up soil from right there and ship it. They have five weeks notice. And they can say, well, that's the soil from where you wanted. You want any more soil? And there's no chain of control, right? So in a crime scene, you put yellow tape around it, and nobody comes in until you're done investigating. There's none of that. It's a self-inspection program with the biggest liars in the history of cheating about nuclear power and nuclear weapons the world has ever known. I mean, I could talk for an hour. I've, I've written a lot on this, and I've done a lot of shows on it. The violations are dink, 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 and not one sanction. Kerry went to Congress, to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and begged for no sanctions. Do you remember when they captured our sailors and humiliated them yes. and made the woman sailor wear a hijab and put their hands behind their back and put it on national television and paraded it all over the world and Carrie went to apologize? You know what our response was? Carrie made a press release thanking them for cooperating and giving back our sailors that were hijacked on the high seas, which if Reagan was president, he would have bombed a city in, in Iran and it wouldn't have happened twice. This week, they promised to close the Straits of Hormuz to U.S. shipping. That's a violation of international law and usually is a precursor to a declaration of war. And yet, we do nothing. I could go on and on about this, and if you have specific questions, I'll give you more details. Okay, so to wrap up, some of you have asked me, you know, what can I do to help? I started a nonprofit, a 501c3 called American Truth Project, which Sutton was circulating sign-up sheets for you. If you want to help, sign up. You'll get my emails, you'll get my shows, you'll get the speeches I do, and maybe you can help in some way. Anyone that ever sends in money gets a U.S. Constitution and a note from me. But more importantly, I want to build the email list as big as we can so that more and more people get educated. Education is power. That's right. And when I tell you something or somebody tells you something that you didn't know and the network tells you otherwise, you can go, that's BS. You can do that now about Hillary's emails. You'll know better. And when she does get indicted or the FBI does leak it, you can say, hey, I heard that from Barry the other day. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the American Truth Project, a 501c3 nonprofit. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on our social media channels to stay plugged in to the truth. Go to americantruthproject.org and subscribe to our newsletter to stay informed on the latest news.